Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. singing new songs and I was telling Doug in between the services that that usually I, I, I hear get wind of a, a new song that's out there and that when we sing it it's not necessarily new to me but today's song was very new to me very refreshing I hope what you sung in the past few moments ago um, just quickened your heart in some way today um, I just think of, of God being exceedingly exceedingly more and abundantly more than we can ever hope for imagine and and that song just goes so well uh, with the theme of Philippians. And that's where we're going to be at for the next seven weeks. We're going to look at this a New Testament book. And uh, I, I hope that you will stay with us for the next seven weeks, whether it be in person or joining us online. I know we still have a, a good online community joining us uh, during this season. But stick with us for the next seven weeks because I believe that you're going to see the abundant goodness and, and love and mercy of God just showing up week after week in our, in our preaching and studying of this word. I wish we had the time to go verse by verse through uh, Philippians because I, I feel like it's just a, a treasure mine, but we don't have that the opportunity. So encourage you throughout the week just to grab um, this book in your devotional time and just uh, and read it for yourself and see what God stirs in your heart. And uh, we also have the resources, the discipleship resources through the Right Now Media that if you're a member um, at Northbridge you have access to. And there's tons and tons of, of videos and Bible studies um, that will help you just dig deeper into Philippians if you want to go in a personal way. Um, Philippians is chock full of um, things of love and of God's great mercy of God's great hope. Um, if there is one word that you can say just explodes through the book of Philippians, it's the word joy, right? And um, there's something about that word joy. It's something that we want in our life. It's something that when we have it, when we experience in our life, it's, it's just, it's like goodness. It's like an ice cream cone. You ever had an ice cream cone on a summer day? I know all of us had, right? <clears throat> and the heat melts that ice cream cone and you have a decision to make. Am I going to let it drip to the ground or I'm just going to lick it off my hand? Have you ever licked off ice cream off your hand before? I'm telling you, if you haven't, you're missing something wonderful, right? Because no matter how you eat ice cream, whether it off your hand or in a bowl, it's all good, no matter how it comes about. Joy is the same way. Once you experience it, no matter how you experience it, in life, it is a good and wonderful thing. If you have the scriptures with you today, I invite you to turn um, to the book uh, of Philippians. Now, if I say Philippines, excuse me, I've been, I've been saying that a lot. It's Philippians, Philippians, and it's a New Testament book kind of tucked in towards the very back of the New Testament. Um, if you don't have it with you today, we'll have it on the screen behind us. But we call it a letter because that's exactly what it was. It's a letter from, from Paul to a church um, that lived in the city of Philippi, which, which is, is in the northern part of Greece today. And this letter is, is you, cannot, you cannot get away from the fact that Paul loved these people. He had a special connection with this church of Philippines. In fact, it's the only letter that Paul writes 
that, that he's not speaking to a sin issue. He's not speaking to a, a crisis that has erupted. And nor is he speaking about correcting bad theology. This is just a simply a, a letter of gratitude from a man who just holds these people in high esteem. And the reason why he holds them in high esteem is because they have been partners with him in the gospel ministry. And they have never forsaken him at all. But even in their own poverty, they have given towards Paul. And so Paul is writing this letter back to them, telling them how grateful he is for their partnership. Now, there's something that you're going to hear over and over again in the next seven weeks. You're going to think, man, these three preachers can't find something else to talk about. Because these are three main themes that just erupt from the scriptures, erupt from this letter from Paul. And the first is this, is that joy comes from knowing Jesus. Um, and he speaks in that almost in every single chapter of this, of this letter. That joy, joy comes from knowing Jesus. And also humility comes from knowing Jesus. There's something about encountering Christ that brings a, a form of humility into our lives. And all that he does for us. And then there's this, this other thing. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is a central aspect of everything that we do in life. Now, there are things that we're called to do in life, and there's events that happen in our life, um, but the, the foremost thing that should be a part of every believer's life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that, that the Holy Spirit wanted those people at Philippi to understand these three truths. But I also believe that the Holy Spirit wants you and I, in this day and age, to understand those three truths as well. Because in them, I believe brings about more abundant life for us. And so this morning, we're going to read the first 11 verses of chapter, chapter 1. I wish we had the time to go to dig deep into each single verse, because honestly, I could probably do five uh, preaching points from these 11 verses. But we're just going to kind of dig into two verses out of these 11 today. But just for context sake, we're going to read those uh, first 11 verses together. Paul and Timothy, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always offering prayers with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God." It's been about two years since Paul was with the church in Philippi. Uh, Paul founded this church um, when he was ministering to a group of women um, beside a riverbank as they were washing clothes. And out of that meeting um, sprung this church. And this church has been with him in spirit since day one. 
Now he left, he left Philippi in those two years. Paul experienced um, traumatic things take place in his life. Put on several trials and um, enduring tremendous persecution. And two years later he finds himself in a dungeon below the streets of Rome. And he's chained in this dungeon to two soldiers 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And in this little cell um, beneath uh, on the streets of Rome, probably huddled over a little oil lamp in, a, in, a, in that dungeon cell with a piece of paper, he is scrawling this word of encouragement um, to this church. And if you can just imagine with me that scene as he is lifting a, 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 a writing instrument and putting it to parchment, that every time he does so, there's a hand that goes with him. And every time he writes a, a, a letter on that parchment page, there's a clanking of chains. But you would never know that if you're just reading this letter because this letter is filled with so much hope and so much optimism, so much joy. I mean, Paul talks about his future being in the hands of God and how excited he was about that future. Though in reality, um, his life was in the hands of Caesar. Caesar could either um, set him free or Caesar can put him to death. And we all know what happens um, very shortly after this letter is pinned to the Philippines. And the Philippians, there you go, um, is that Paul lost his life, right? But again, when you read these words, I mean, all that, that comes off the, off the pages of this letter is a man that is filled with authentic joy. He mentions it in verse 3. He, he speaks about this, this joyful remembrance that he has of, of this church at Philippi. In fact, every single time that he goes before God in prayer for, these, for this church, he does it with a heart of joy. Now, this state of mind is, of Paul is so real. He is such a man of joy, despite his circumstances. Joy, he, Paul writes about joy 15 more times in this little small letter. So what we need to understand is this, is that Paul is not necessarily happy in his present situation. What he is is that he's experiencing joy. And happiness and joy are two different things. Now, we oftentimes confuse the two. and We think that they're, they're similar, but they really are not. Happiness is all about events that happen to you, positive things, horizontal things in life, circumstances in life that happen to us that we react to. And whether that happens to you personally, maybe something good happens to those that you love. Maybe you're, you're at work, something good happens, you get, a, you get, a, you get praise from your boss, you maybe get a, a bonus you know, um, in pay, and that brings you happiness. Uh, maybe you're just uh, enjoying uh, a hobby of yours, something you love to do that brings you happiness. Maybe it's watching your favorite sports team on TV um, that brings you happiness. Whether you're digging into your favorite uh, food, right, that brings you a, a feeling of, of happiness. Anything that's external that, that happens to us that causes an emotion to erupt in us of happiness. Now, that happiness is, is fleeting. It comes and goes. 
Um, it happens, like I said, it has to be buffeted by something good that happens in our life. In fact, the world, that's all the world wants to do. The world just runs after and chases after happiness. They want happiness not in a fleeting moment. They want happiness to stick around. We all want happiness to stick around. We're, we're, we're happy junkies, right? We want happiness to stick around. But that's not what happiness is. It comes and it goes. What we're really looking for, honestly, what we're looking for is joy. Because joy is not dependent upon a horizontal circumstance in life happening to us. Joy comes from a commitment of the soul. Joy comes from and erupts within us when we live a life of gratitude. That's where, that's where joy comes from. Having a, a heart of gratitude. That's where Paul was at towards the end of his life, living, you know, existing in a, a dungeon, suffering tremendously. But it had nothing to do with horizontal outward experiences that he was facing. There was something internal that was erupting within his soul that caused him to have tremendous joy. So what was it in Paul that caused Paul to have such tremendous joy. Well, Paul will, will kind of showcase this over the next four chapters, but there are two gems that he kind of lays out there for us in these first 11 verses that I really want us to hone in on when it comes to being joyful in life. There's a difference. I, there's a difference that what joy will bring to your life that happiness cannot bring. And, and we're, we're going to find that out over the next seven weeks. But first and foremost, this is what I want you to know about joy. The gospel of Jesus produces joy within every Christian. The gospel of Jesus produces joy. Look at what he says in verse 6. He says this, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, it was, it was Jesus and his love, and it was Jesus and his, um, the eternal life that he gave Paul. It was Jesus and the un, unmerited favor and grace and mercy that Paul experienced on the moment that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus that never left him. It was so profound in his life what, what Jesus had done for him. It was so profound to him what Jesus had rescued him from. And Paul will lay this out in chapter 2 of Philippians uh, beautifully for us. But basically, he was a man who had it all. He was living large. He was living life large, but he was living life without joy. It was when he encountered Christ in salvation. It's when joy, the seeds of joy, were planted in his heart. And as he walked with, with God and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, as he moved and as he, as he advanced the gospel, as he worked with the gospel of Christ, more joy and more joy erupted in his heart. Why? Because God was at work within him. The gospel, you see, the gospel message is just not us coming to faith in Jesus Christ. That's just the very beginning of the gospel work in our life. But every time you, you take God's word and you open it up and you read it, right, and you apply it to your life, that is the gospel continuing its work within your heart. And so the more that you embrace the word of God, the more that you open up your, your soul 
to the Holy Spirit of God in your life, he will continue to increase the joy in your life. And so Paul's basically saying, listen, I've been where you've been at, and I am confident of this one fact, that if God was going to be at work in my life over all these years, he is going to be at work in your life. You can count on it. Knowing that this incredible work that he did in your salvation is not just a one and done thing. What God began in your heart and the day of your salvation, God will continue to the very end. He is faithful. What he promises, he will always deliver. Whatever God touches in your life, he does it for your good and for your glory. He is always at work in your life. Now, you may think that that is crazy. That there, you think that there are seasons in your life where God is not at work. And I, I just have to say, no, that's not true. God is always at work in your life. Because listen, it's not dependent upon your faithfulness whether or not God is at work. God could be at work and because of your unfaithfulness or the distractions in your life, you may not recognize what he is doing in and around you. But God is always at work in your life. The psalmist tells us that we have a God who never sleeps nor does he slumber. He's very active. He's very engaged in life. And sometimes you just have to hone in on that through eyes of faith and not trusting your feelings all the time, not trusting your circumstances all the time. But God is always at work in and through you. Why? Because he has a work that he wants to do. He wants to lead you into a life of unbelievable joy. That is his heart for you. His heart for you is, is for you to experience joy in this life. Now, is it, is it God's heart that you experience happiness? Absolutely, he wants you to experience happiness. And those moments come and go in our lives. But one thing he, he wants you to really experience is joy. Joy that is eternal. Joy that is always there whenever you are connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. As long as you allow the word of God to be effective in your heart, you will experience true joy. There is no arena in your life that God cannot bring joy into. You just have to apply his gospel to your situation. And God on his own power and God in his own ways will perfect it. As Paul tells these these Philippian believers. Trust in this, in this promise. The gospel will produce joy in your life. Second of all, this is what he says. And now this one may surprise you a little bit. It surprised me too when I started, when I was given the assignment to, uh, um, to speak on these first 11 verses, the one verse that just stood out to me constantly um, was verse 8. And I just honed in on it because, I, I mean, I've read Philippians over and over again. But for some reason in the season, just really stuck out to me this truth in verse 8. And this is what it is. Is that it's the love of Jesus that fortifies joy within you. So it's the gospel of, of Christ that brings about joy in your life. It is, it is Christ in his love for you that fortifies that joy in your heart. This is what he said. Let me, I got to go back and, and read verse 7 actually, because verse 7 kind of gives better context to verse 8. But this is, um, this is what Paul says For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. 
Um, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. So he has this in, incredible love for these people because um, they've been with him since day one. Uh, they've, never, they've never abandoned him. Um, they've been sending him gifts of, of money um, ever since, ever since he, he started this missionary journey. Um, I mean, always with him, lifting him up in prayer. Um, we know through Acts that this church was very, very poor, but they gave out of their poverty in this time. And so this meant a lot to Paul. This meant a, and so the love that Paul had for these people were, were, were just so solid, right? So verse 8, this is what I want us to hone in on. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And so it's very rare for Paul to evoke this type of emotion in his writings. But right here, he's invoking God. As, in other words, he's saying, listen, what I'm about to say to you is so true. I love you beyond words I can put on a piece of paper. I, I love you. But this love is, is, is only, only outmatched by the love that Christ has for you. When I was reading some commentaries about this, one of the commentaries uh, basically said that it was what Paul was meaning was to express the unlimitless love that Christ had for him. In other words, I love you, uh, Church of Philippi, but there's one who loves you more, and he, his love for you is affectionate. The affection of Christ runs deeper than you can possibly imagine. Let that just sink in for a moment. The affection that Christ has for you right now, in this very moment, he loves you beyond all capacity to understand and any ability for us to put into words. There's nothing that you can do for Jesus that will cause him to love you more. And there's nothing that you can do that will cause Jesus to love you less. Now, if you are in a place in your life where you're just not walking faithfully, what we call faithfully walking with God, um, maybe you just allow cares to come into the world. Maybe there's some sin issues that, that, that take place in your life. Let me just tell you this right now. Let me give you some comfort. Even in the messiness of your sin, even in the messiness of the cares of this world, Jesus has a deep affection for you still. The day that you encountered Jesus and you felt that unbelievable love, that unbelievable love is still there today. Because that love is not dependent upon you. That love is not dependent upon your actions. That love is not dependent upon your level of faith. That love is not dependent upon anything that you bring to this table um, in this relationship you have with God. No, it's, it's a one-sided love. And that love has always been the same. It's been a white, hot love for you at all times. And if you can just wrap your mind around that, It'll bring you tremendous joy, right? And I say that for those in our, in our, for those of us who just hurt in life. You think, man, I've got all these problems. 
God must not love me. No, 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 no. No matter what, his affection for you remains strong. When, uh, at the, when John in his gospel was writing about the, the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples, John records something in chapter 13 of that gospel that none of the other writers include about what was going on. And he, 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 takes, he takes a little moment to tell us, to give us insight to the heart of Jesus for his disciples. So this is what, this is what John writes in, in John 13. Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of, the wor- out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In other words, when he, as Jesus is in that upper room with those disciples, those men were a bunch, were a group of hot mess, right? I mean, those men, they, their lives were just, you know, they were so self-centered. Um, they, I, I'm, I'm convinced that they really did not love Jesus deeply until after his resurrection. I think they liked Jesus. I think they liked hanging out with him. I think they liked seeing the miracles take place. I think they were intrigued with him. But I don't think in the moment in the upper room that they were really truly in love with Jesus. But guess what? Jesus, it didn't matter to Jesus where their level of love was for him. His love for them was unmatchless. He looked across that room into the eyes of Thomas, into the eyes of Peter, into the eyes of Matthew, into the eyes of Judas, who's about to betray him, and he loved them in that moment. In all of their messiness, he loved them. And then and John says, he says, he loved them to the end. What does that mean? He loved them to the end. In other words, in other words, Jesus loved them throughout their entire life, into all of eternity, just as he loved them in that moment. The level of God's love for you does not change. It's consistent. I love Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 35 through 39. This is the, the dog diggity when it comes to love in the scriptures of what it means for God's love to always remain the same in our lives. Look what he says. It says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Who will separate us from, who, who, who in their right mind has the power to separate you from God's love in your life? Well, this is what Paul says. Well, tribulation, no. Or distress, no. Or persecution, no. Or famine, uh-uh. Or nakedness, no way. Or peril, No. Or by the sword? No. Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in in all these things, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Isn't that amazing? We are conquerors. No matter what we may experience in life negatively, it doesn't Take away God's love for us. In fact, we conquer things because of God's love for us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This should just cause a joy to erupt in your soul like a volcano. 
that there is nothing, 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 nothing that will ever take his love and narrow it down. You ever seen a, ever seen a pot boil over? You know, um, you're cooking pasta the pot's boiling over, and, it's, and you have it on high, and so what do you do? You, you turn it down to, to lower, to simmer, just so the pot won't boil over. Listen, um, when it comes to the love of Christ, he says, I'm keeping it on high, and let, it, let my love just overflow everywhere. Let it get a little messy, but my love never grows cold towards you. This past uh, week and a half, I've been dealing with shingles. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced shingles before. It is painful, painful. And so I had ordered some books um, that came, came in uh, this week because my doctor said, hey, um, just take your mind off your pain. Just do something you like to do, like reading. Okay, I like to read. Um, she's a liar. It didn't take away the pain. So <laughs> it was still there. But anyways, um, uh, but I, I read this book. I got this book and I had ordered this book. And this book is, is entitled The Heart of Christ. And it was written in 1651 by a man named Thomas Goodwin. Because Thomas Goodwin was convinced that no matter what happens in our lives, Jesus loves us deeply. And he was more convinced, he was more convinced that the more that we sinned, now this, this may, may rattle a few feathers in here, but he was convinced the more that we sinned, um, that Jesus' love was more magnified in our sin. You, you just got you gotta you gotta take that in. It was one of those books you just have to read a paragraph or a page and just kind of set it down and just go on with your life and come back to it again. And that's what it was for me this week. It was just I, I just I was just trying to take in um, the fact that he is never dissatisfied with me. That Jesus is never unhappy with us. He loves us always. And uh, this, is what he, this is what he writes, and I have it on the screen. It's a powerful quote. He says, Christ cannot love me better than he does. Let that sink in for a moment. Christ cannot love me better than he does. And in my response, I think I cannot love Christ better than I do. And what that means to me, that statement was, the more of a mess that I think I am and that Christ loves me yet still, I don't know how I could love Christ even more when I'm at my lowest, that he loves me unimaginably, unmeasurably, with tremendous forgiveness and mercy. And he's always good to me. When I'm faithless, always good to me. When I, when I, when I, make, when I make my life um, run amok, he's, he's, he's wonderful to me. When I sin, he's unbelievably loving to me. I hope that somehow sinks into your heart this week that the love of Christ is what fortifies the joy within us. If you're missing joy, all I can do is just say this, just... First and foremost, just check yourself spiritually. If you've, have you ever come to Christ? Maybe if you've not experienced joy in your life, maybe it's because you're missing Christ in your life. And the scripture says there's a remedy for that. 
Um, Come to faith in Christ. Give your heart to Christ. I love how Romans puts it. Romans um, chapter 10, it puts it so simple to us. This is how you come to faith in Christ. Believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe that he was raised from the dead for our sins. And you too shall be saved. For those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. To trust in God for the salvation of your sins. That the work of Christ on the cross is enough to take away your sins. If you are a believer, and it's been a while since you've experienced joy, I just want to encourage you. Not work harder. You have nothing to prove to God. I just challenge you to re-embrace his word. And allow his word to cause joy to erupt within you. Just soak in. Just soak in and soak up the fact that Jesus loves you with everything in his being. And I don't even really understand what that means. I say Jesus loves you with everything in his being, and he, and he is God, and there's no end to his being. And so you plumb the depths of that for just a moment. If there is no end to God, there is no end to his love for you. If you are a follower of Christ, and all that you have experienced so far in your life is happiness, and you're looking for the next moment of happiness... I encourage you to get off that bandwagon, that bus, and hop on the bus of joy. Embrace the gospel. Accept the affection of Christ in your life. And see, and see what God does in your life with that. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, for um, the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, that your gospel is so simple to us. We want to make it complicated, but in the end, it's so simple. For you, O God, so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So, Father, the gospel of Jesus Christ is based on your unbelievable love for us. And Jesus' love for us persuaded him, led him to giving up his life on the cross for our sins. We thank you, Father, for that great and unbelievable love. And so, Father, today I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that they would, Lord, make room in their hearts for the gospel to continue to do its effectual work within us. And Lord, I ask that you would just, as I do so, I ask that you would just allow us to know and be overwhelmed by your tender affection towards us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I invite you to stand to your feet and and join our worship team in this last song. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.